ladies. It's good to be back. Uh, this is normally where the staff member would get up and preach, but unfortunately I'm back today, so it won't be a staff member. I got back, uh, we went out to, we left the day after Memorial Day, go to North Carolina, and on that uh, Wednesday, uh, they induced our daughter-in-law, Sarah, and she gave birth to our newest addition to the Shaw family, little Sophia Catherine, and uh, that was a joy to be able to be there and bless her as she had just been born and spend a few days with them. And then we left and came back on Sunday, and I was actually here for Bible school. And one of the first things I heard was how good a job Ben did in my absence. And in fact, somebody told me, uh, you know, Ben might be your replacement one day. And I said, he'll never preach here again. <laughs> he, he has preached two sermons, his first and his last here. And so, and so I told Don, I said, you better mess up. And so when I got back uh, from, everybody told me, the men told me what a great job Don did. So Ben and Don will not be preaching here for a long time. And I'm putting Brother Paul and Donnie and Jonathan on notice when it's your time to fill in for me. Some of you better mess up or I'm going to have to bring in outside preachers. Uh, I don't like to do that, but I may have to. But I, I, I heard what a wonderful job. And I rejoice with that and I appreciate that. Uh, we did have a wonderful time. In fact, one of the sweetest things about Bible school, Lily Grace, our older granddaughter, came with us and stayed with the plumber's son, was able to go to Bible school every day. And one day we were riding home from Bible school, and she said, Hey, Baba. And I said, What is it, Lily? And she said, You know, in four years, Sophie will be able to come to Bible school. I said, That's right, Lily. When she's four years old, she can come to Bible school. And she said, And, and Baba, in four years, I'll be 13. I said, That's right, Lily. You'll be 13. And she said, and I can help take care of Sophie in Bible school. I can be a youth worker. I said, that's right. And I thought, what a blessing that's going to be. So I already have one volunteer youth worker in four years, and I have a, a prospect for the four-year-old class. So we're excited about that, but it was a sweet time. Then we went to the convention last week, and uh, on Sunday we had a unique experience. I went to the Second Baptist Church of Houston, Texas, and I went there on a mission because when Matt Blunt had his treatment at MD Anderson. Those folks just adopted Matt and his family and were so kind and gracious to them. And I told the man who heads up that ministry, when the Southern Baptist Convention meets in Houston, I'm going to come to Second Baptist Church on Sunday and I want to take you and your wife out to lunch. And we met another family who had helped them. So we took them out to lunch last Sunday, had a wonderful experience of worship. And then we got to thank the folks for ministering to Matt Blunt and what a wonderful job they did. And we had a wonderful worship experience and then had convention this week. And uh, we do have some important people in our church. First of all, Barbara Moore was elected to a committee, and uh, her name appeared in the program on the top page. She was the first one because she was from Alabama, so y'all need to, to congratulate uh, Barbara and tell Brother Paul how fortunate he is to be married to such a powerful woman and, uh, and, and recognize that. And then Brother Bob has been going to the convention for several years, and he, he likes to get up and, and speak and share his opinion. And this year we had a motion, and Brother Bob wanted to amend the motion, so he got up and made a motion to amend, and it got a second. And, and uh, they asked the uh, Committee on Resolutions to speak to it, and the committee chairman came to the platform, and he said, the Resolutions Committee considers this amendment a friendly amendment, and we move its adoption. And so Brother Bob got his motion to amend approved by the committee, which is really something that doesn't happen very often, uh, very, very seldom that happened. So we have some important people in our midst, and we need to, to give them their honor. And the rest of us are just glad to be there and watch them work at the convention, uh, just sit in the background. 
But we had a wonderful week, and, and, uh, and I'm glad to be back and be ready to preach. So take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 22. And uh, I promise you men, some of you men that will hear this message think, well, Brother Mike, you just came back from the conference last night and wrote this message. No, this message was actually written about two weeks ago. And I left it uh, for Pat to put in the bulletin this week, but it goes right along with what we heard yesterday. In fact, the theme of the uh, conference this weekend down at the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center was stand. And so we're going to see the word featured prominently in this text. So if you found Ezekiel 22, uh, would you stand with me as we show our respect for the reading of God's word? And this is the word of the living God. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to her, you are a land that has not been cleansed, that has not had, had not received rain in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets within her is like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, seize wealth and valuables, and multiply the widows within her. Her priests do violence to my instruction and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between the holy and the common, and they do not explain the difference between the clean and the unclean. They disregard my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey, shedding blood and destroying lives in order to make profit dishonestly. Her prophets plaster their whitewash for them by seeing false visions and lying divinations. And they say, this is what the Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and unlawfully exploited the foreign resident. I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. But I found no one. So I have poured out my indignation on them and consumed them with the fire of my fury. I have brought their actions down on their own heads. This is the declaration of the Lord God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. 1944 was an important year in history. On June 6, 1944, what we've come to know as D-Day occurred. On D-Day, Allied forces assaulted the beaches at Normandy to drive the Germans out of France and end the European theater in World War II. They landed on the beaches in June and by December of that year had made tremendous headway. One of the things about a military operation like that is it takes a lot of coordination. Men can't fight unless they have ammunition. Men can't fight unless they have the proper clothing. Machines don't work unless you have gasoline. Cannons can't fire unless they have artillery shells. And it's a massive problem in getting the materials that the frontline fighters need to the front lines. What the Allies did not know was that the Germans had devised a plan. They had focused all of their strength for one counterattack. They only had enough men and material for one counterattack. And they decided the proper time to do that would be in December of 1944. That battle has come to be known as the Battle of the Bulge. And in that battle, some American forces who literally were the spearhead of the Allied forces found themselves cut off from all the other Allied forces. They were surrounded. 
And during those dark days, it appeared like we might lose the battle of the bulge. The weather was against us. It was bitterly cold. Most of our fighting men had not even been issued their winter coats and winter clothing. Many of them suffered from frostbite. Upon a day, there was a soldier who was beside a road digging a foxhole. And a Sherman tank came back in retreat. The German forces behind that Sherman tank. And that tank commander stopped when he saw this one allied soldier digging a foxhole. And he said, hey, buddy, do you know where the rest of the American forces around here are? He said, yeah, they're a couple of miles behind me. But he said, I'm with the 82nd Airborne. And he said, I've decided I'm not going any further. He said, I'm digging a foxhole here. And he said, the rest of the German army may be behind you down that road. But he said this. He said, I am not retreating any further. And the driver of that Sherman tank pulled that tank in behind that foxhole. And they made a stand. And literally, that is where the German advance ended. Not just with that one tank and that soldier. But there were other men who said, we've been pushed back. We're not going any further. This is where we stand. Dr. Mark Foley wrote a book called It's Time. And he said, in speaking of that story, that that's an attitude that must be expressed clearly. Today, we need to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am an American citizen, and I will retreat no further from the truth I hold dear. And so I come today to say what God said to Ezekiel. God is searching for a man. This is Father's Day. Now, ladies, I'm not demeaning women. I want you to know we could not do what we do in this church or any other church without women. Don, I think you'll probably agree with me that about 70% of the workers in our church are women. We could not do. This church would not exist without you ladies, and we appreciate you. And God blessed women. In fact, in the Bible, there are several important women. In the Old Testament, you have Esther. In the Old Testament, you have Ruth. In the Old Testament, you have a woman named Deborah, and the leader of the Hebrews under Deborah said, I'm not going to fight unless you go with me. Isn't that something? Here was a fighting man who said, well, I'll fight, but I want this woman to go with me. God can use women, and God does use women. But in the days of Ezekiel, God said, I looked for a man. I needed a man. Why? Well, first of all, because like Israel, we have man-sized problems. There are man-sized problems in the church or in the temple, in the synagogue, in, in, in Ezekiel's day. First of all, there were praying prophets. And I'm not talking about P-R-A-Y-I-N-G prophets. I'm talking about prophets that are praying on people for profit. Notice he said the conspiracy of her prophet. Notice it's a conspiracy. There are some preachers who are preaching today for money. Not because God called them, not because God has a fire in their bones, but they're preaching to get money. That's all they're preaching for. They don't mind being popular. They don't mind soft-pedaling the, the message of the Bible. If it'll get them more money and more members, they're glad to do that. Notice the conspiracy of her prophets within her is like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, seize wealth and valuables, and multiply the widows within her. In other words, these praying prophets are doing damage to the people of God and the people of America. We have praying prophets today. We have the prosperity prophets who say, well, if you're saved, God wants you to be rich and you'll never get sick 
and you'll never have a problem. There's only one thing wrong with that. It's contradictory to what the message of the Bible says. The Bible says if you're going to stand for God, you'll be persecuted. If you're going to stand for God, people will get mad at you. If you're going to stand for God, people will call you names. I've been called more names in the last three or four weeks than I've ever been called in my life. And you say, well, poor Brother Mike, are your feelings hurt? Absolutely not. I have the skin of a rhinoceros. I want, you know, when you've been a pastor 42 years, uh, you, you can't get be thin-skinned. You won't stay in the ministry if you are. You better be ready for criticism. Now, sometimes I need to be criticized. Sometimes I mess up. And when I mess up, I, I take the medicine. I admit it. I've, me I've messed up, and I've told you before I've messed up. But I want to tell you this. When you take a stand for God and people call you names, you shouldn't worry about it. They did a whole lot worse to Jesus. Nobody's crucified me yet. Now, some of them probably would like to, but, uh, but I'm not worried about that uh, because I want people to know where I stand, and I, I'm not going to be, I, I'm not going to shut up, and I'm not going to give up, and I'm not going to quit. I mean, I'm at the end of my ministry, literally. I mean, I'm 65 years old. Uh, I know I have fewer years left to preach than I preached before, but I want to tell you this. My message is the same today. It was 42 years ago when I started pastoring. I'm more passionate about the message, and I will tell you this. I want to finish well. I don't want to be a praying prophet. I want to be a minister that God can use. Well, we have, pray we have profane priests. Her priests do violence to my instruction and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between the holy and the common, and they do not explain the difference between the clean and the unclean. They disregard my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. So we have profane priests and praying prophets as they did in Judah in the days of Ezekiel. But then there are also problems in our country today. They notice that there were lurking leaders. Notice that her officials are within her, are like wolves tearing their prey, shedding blood and destroying lives, destroying lives, not lies, but destroying lives in order to make profit dishonestly. Now, do you know the difference between a lion and a wolf? A lion will creep up on their prey. If you've ever seen a movie about the animals in Africa, you know, the lion roars after it's caught its prey. The lion roars when it's about to consume its prey. Well, when, the, when a lion is after its prey, they're, they're sneaky. They crawl around. They hide in the grass. Now, they're the, the king of the jungle, but they know they can catch more prey with stealth than they can with power. Well, what about wolves? You know what wolves do? They run in packs. And what they do is, is they bring, in fact, Phil Waldrop talked about this yesterday. We got in there. They had a thing draped. We under, all wondered what it was. And Phil Waldrop uncovered the, the, pulled the drape off, and it was a picture of a buffalo head. And he said, you know what this is? This is a rogue buffalo. This is a buffalo that wandered from the herd. And they're the ones that get killed. They're the ones that the Indians kill. Indians can still kill buffalo if they wander onto the reservation. And a rogue buffalo wanders off the reservation. His head's going to end up on a wall, and he's going to end up in the bellies of the Indians because they can kill him. Or the wolves will get him. Now, here's what wolves do. They don't, they don't sneak up like lions do. Wolves attack in packs, and they start tearing. And a wolf is not nearly as powerful as a lion, but when you have a pack of wolves on you, they will tear you to pieces. And God said to Ezekiel, he said, the leaders of my land are like wolves. They come around in packs. 
We have that today in our own beloved country. We have dishonesty and corruption in our country. Nobody's saying a whole lot about it. You know, we're just kind of sitting here saying, well, I guess this is just the way it's supposed to be. No, it's not. Our country was founded as the land of the free and the home of the brave, and we still need to stand for those things. Lies are wrong no matter who tells them. But there were, lurking, there were plastering prophets. <laughs> they had these national prophets who put whitewash on everything the leaders did. Her pl prophets plastered with whitewash for them by seeing false visions and lying divinations. And they say, this is what the Lord God says when the Lord God has not spoken. You know how to tell a false prophet? I can tell you how to tell a false prophet. When he speaks of Jesus, he never tells the truth about Jesus. Oh, they like the Sermon on the Mount. But they don't want to hear about take up your cross and follow me. They, they like love your neighbor. But they don't like he that is not with us and against us. And he that gathers not with us scatters abroad. You see, they pick and choose the words of Jesus they like. You say, preacher, how many of those words are inspired? All of them. There's a group out in, out in Colorado today called the Jesus Seminar. And they've been going for about 25 years now. And they're taking the New Testament and they're taking the passages out of the New Testament that they think Jesus really didn't say. They took the Lord's Prayer. It was one of the first things they did. You know what was left of the Lord's Prayer when they got through with it? Our Father, amen. Now, that's what they said Jesus said. I want to tell you, Jesus said the Lord's Prayer just like it's recorded in the Bible. Whether they like it or not, whether they want to believe it or not, it doesn't make any difference because God's Word is unchangeable. And we're not going to whitewash that. We're going to tell the truth. But then, because they're lurking leaders and plastering prophets, there are perverse people. Notice this. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and unlawfully exploited the foreign resident. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying today. God loves poor people. The Bible talks about the least as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it also unto me. But many things in our society today go against poor people. For example, one of the biggest businesses in Alabama right now, one of the most profitable and lucrative businesses in Alabama are payday loan companies. Every city has them. In fact, some cities have placed a moratorium on them because that's all they are. And I want to tell you, these people prey on poor people. They prey on people who don't have anywhere else to go for money, and then they take what few possessions those people have. In the state of Alabama, we are number one in something that we ought to be ashamed of. We are number one in the fact that poor people in Alabama are taxed more than poor people in any other state in the union. Now, you know, if you're an Alabama fan and your team's number one, you like to go, we're number one. And if you're an Auburn fan and your team's number one, you like to go, we're number one. But I want to tell you, nobody, and especially not God's people, ought to want to say, as an Alabamian, we're number one in, a, in taxing the poor. And you say, well, why don't you preachers say something about it? I have been. I've been preaching for 11 years, and I preached it to the governor, and I preached it to the legislature. But nobody listens. You say, well, I guess you're going to give up. You don't know me very well, do you? You just don't know me at all. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to back up. One day I may be taken up, 
but I'm not going to back down. I've drawn a line in the sand. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're an agnostic. I, I, I don't care if you're a liberal. I don't care. I am not going to shut up because somebody doesn't like what I say when it's out of the word of God. Amen. We have man-sized problems. God has a man-sized proposal. Notice what God said. Now, this is not my word. Ladies, please don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. But if you get mad at me, I've already told you my skin's like a rhinoceros anyway, so, you know, I'm not going to go home and cry if you get mad at me. In fact, I'm so magnanimous, if you get mad at me, you come up after church and say, Brother Mike, I'm mad at you, and I will forgive you for being mad at me. I'm a magnanimous and generous person. I searched for an army, right? I searched for a company. I searched for a Sunday school class. I searched for a choir. I searched for a deacon body. I searched for a man. That's what it says. God has a man-sized proposal. I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. Notice he said a man. Now, I see men here today. I, I, see, I see men here today. Some of you men have on pink shirts. And I want you to know, I'm proud of you for wearing a pink shirt. It takes a real man to wear a pink shirt. I didn't have a pink shirt in North Carolina, but it was senior day at Belks. And after my granddaughter was born, I bought me a pink shirt. And I wore it to the hospital. You say, why didn't you carry it with you? I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. If you look at the picture of me blessing her, I had on a kind of a green plaid shirt that day because I didn't know if it was going to be a boy or girl. As soon as I, Sophie was born, I went to Belks with my coupon and on senior day. And I bought me a pink shirt. And I wore my pink shirt. And I wore it to the convention. Why? Because I'm a man. Real men can wear pink. Only one man is needed. Think about the one man. We have some, where are the Gideons? Wave, wave at me. All you Gideons, wave at me. If you're a Gideon, wave at me. I see. All right. Wave. Gideons. Okay. How many Gideons were there? One. How many Moses were there? One. How many Elijahs were there? One. How many Abrahams were there? One. How many Noahs were there? One. How many Moses? One. How many Jesus? One and only one. There be another. God said, if I had one man who would repair the wall, call for repentance and righteousness. You don't hear much about repentance and righteousness in the pulpits today. I, I'm going to be honest. I heard more about repentance and righteousness in the last two days at the, at, the, at the stand conference, the Gridiron Conference, than I have in the last two weeks. And I've been to a lot of churches and heard a lot of sermons. I didn't hear much about repentance and righteousness, but that's the message that God's man needs to preach. If we don't repent and get righteous, God will judge us. And in fact, he's already judging us. And then notice to stand in the gap before me. We need intercessors. One of the things that just blessed me last week, Second Baptist Church, Houston, when they got ready to start. Paul, I saw something I'd never seen before. They had a big pipe organ. I've seen that before. But right before the service, the pipe organ played. When the pipe organ played the last note, the orchestra director was standing right here. He starts directing. I mean, the organ ended and the, and the orchestra began just as soon as the last tones of the organ died out. The, the orchestra picked up. 
and people were coming in. The deacons walked in with the pastor. You deacons, uh, I want you to tell you, at Second Baptist Houston, every deacon had a coat and tie on in the morning service, David. They all were carrying about four offering plates. And they got in there, and they all took their places down here. And the orchestra leader led a song, a prelude with the orchestra while the deacons and the staff was coming in. And on the last note of the orchestra prelude, the orchestra leader gave the downbeat for the introduction to the choir music. And Paula, I'd never seen this before in my life. But as soon as the choir was about to come in, that orchestra leader raised the baton and he lifted up the baton and the minister music came and grabbed it out of his hand and brought the downbeat in and brought the choir. I was sitting there like, golly, I've never seen that before. And if you try to do that in Alabama, you'd have a, give me that baton. I'm not done yet. Man, it was, and, and when, the, when they took up the offering, they had two balconies. We have one balcony. They had two balconies. And those deacons on the front row, they started and they went, and they had four offering plates. And I mean, they looked like they were a military precision team. I mean, the one went over here and one went over here, and they started passing. You know, it was obvious they had practiced that. But I want to tell you what really blessed my heart. When Ed Young gave the invitation, those deacons got down on their knees and started praying for that invitation. And they stayed on their knees while that invitation was being given. You know what they were doing? They were saying, God, this is the most important time of the service. This is, I, I, I'm going to I'm I'm try to get you out of here today. We're going to try to leave here by 1030 because I know some of you have to go. But I want to tell you, that's the most important time of the service. That's time when people need decisions. Somebody may be praying about a decision to be saved, and they see people move, and they say, well, it must not be important to them if I make a decision. I'm going to try to get us out on time. But I want to tell you, the invitation is the most important time. It's the most important time. That's when God speaks to people. We need intercessors, not just deacons. We need men, women, boys, and girls to stand in the gap in intercession. But notice what God said. This is sad. But I found no one. So I have poured out my indignation on them and consumed them with the fire of my fury. I have brought their actions down on their own heads. This is the declaration of the Lord God. We have man-sized problems. God gives us a man-sized proposal. But if there's not a man, there's going to be a God-sized punishment. You know, one of the things that really blessed me this week, several years ago we had Vacation Bible School, and there was a little song in Vacation Bible School. And when I heard it, I thought, well, that's a sweet children's song in Vacation Bible School. It's so sweet, I love it. And pretty soon, we started singing it in here. And I always think of it when I hear it as a children's song. And Tommy Walker wrote that song. I think if you look at the music, Paula, you'll see Tommy Walker's name there. And this past week, Charles Billingsley led all the music for the Southern Baptist Convention. And he had invited one of his best friends, Tommy Walker, to come and help him with the music. And one day, Tommy was standing up there, and he had his guitar. And he said, I want to tell you about a little song I wrote. Some of you have sung this song. And he said, I wrote it several years ago. He said, I was on a mission trip in the Philippines. And he said, I was staying at an orphanage. And he said, we were having services every night and having preaching during the day. And he said, I was leading the worship. And he said, there was this little boy, little orphan boy. And said, he came running up to me one day and he said, Mr. Tommy, Mr. Tommy. And he said, hey, how are you doing? And he said, Mr. Tommy, do, do you know my name? 
And he said, no, son, I don't know your name. What's your name? He said, Mr. Tommy, my name's Jerry. And he said, Mr. Tommy, we're friends, aren't we? And Tommy said, yeah, Jerry, we're friends. And he said, and you know my name, don't you? He said, yeah, I know your name, Jerry. And he said, okay. And he just ran off. Next morning at that same service, Tommy's up there getting ready to lead worship. Here comes this little boy down, down the aisle. Hey, Mr. Tommy, Mr. Tommy. Mr. Tommy, do you know my name? He said, sure I do, Jerry. His little boy's face just lit up. He said, yeah, Jerry, I know you. You're my friend. He said, we're buddies, aren't we, Mr. Tommy? He said, yeah, Jerry, we're buddies. We love the Lord Jesus. We're brothers. He said, and we're, we're friends. You know my name. He said, yeah, I know your name. He said he went back to his room that night, and he was sitting in his room. He said he really didn't think much of it when it happened. But he said that night, sitting in his room, he said God spoke to him. And he said, Tommy, that you have a daddy. You've always had a daddy. You've always had a mama. They knew your name. You knew they knew your name. But this little boy is here because he's an orphan. And he thinks nobody knows his name. And Tommy Walker took a pencil out and started writing the words to a song we're going to sing in just a minute. And one of those verses says, I have a father. He calls me by my name. Now this is Father's Day. Some of you today, it's a sad day. Not because your dad is in heaven like mine, but it's a sad day to you because even though you had a father, he wasn't really a daddy. And some of you had daddies that were good sometimes, and then sometimes they had problems, and they weren't consistent. And on Father's Day, that bothers you. And some of you may want to be daddies, and you're not a daddy, and that bothers you. But I want to tell you, the most important thing is not whether or not you had a good earthly father. You see, you can go to heaven without having a good earthly father. And you can go to heaven without ever being a dad yourself. But you can't go to heaven unless your heavenly father knows you. And most importantly, you know See, he knows all of us who we are. But we're not all his children. <laughs> One of the things somebody called me was the devil. They called me the devil. He said, Brother Mike, didn't that hurt your feelings? Y'all hadn't listened. I told you I got the hide of a rhinoceros. <laughs> and you know what I thought about when the guy called me the devil? I said, well, he's partly right. Because for the first 16 years of my life, I was the devil's son. And, I, and for seven of those years, I was a church member who was lost and who had the devil for a daddy. Because if you're here today and you're not saved, guess what? The devil's your daddy. Some of you say, well, I don't want the devil to be my daddy. Well, neither does God. God wants to save you. But only when you get saved will God be your father. I thought about that, and I thought, well, that guy was partly right. <laughs> For 16 years, I was the devil's son. But he's wrong about me now. You say, I'm not the devil. There is a devil, and I'm not him. I did 
serve him for 16 years with that's all in the past. Why? Because I have a father. He calls me by my name. Now the question today is, do you have a father in heaven that calls you by your name? I want to tell you, church, when I was 16 years old, I became a Christian. The three things that you see there at the bottom of that outline, I found God's will. I found God's will. I have been in God's will since I was 17 years old, and I gave up my plans to be a lawyer, and I went in the ministry. I have found God's will for my life. For the last 42 years, I've been following God's will. I've been a pastor. And I wouldn't want to do anything but be a pastor because that was what God willed for my life. God willed for you to be a truck driver, be a good truck driver for Jesus. That's God's will. You follow it. But here's where I am. I want to finish God's will. And you see, God wants me to finish. God has commanded me to finish, to keep my eyes on the prize. But I have to set my heart to finish God's will. Have you found God's will? Are you following God's will? And senior adults, don't quit. Don't you ever quit. You say, well, what if I'm bedridden? You can pray in the bed. You can read your Bible in the bed. You finish God's will. Because he has a will for every one of us. And he wants to be our daddy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for telling us that you loved us before the foundation of the world. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us, to suffer. And Lord, may we today, if we've never claimed him as our Lord and Savior, repent of our sins, turn from them, and ask Jesus to save us. Believe upon him as our Lord and Savior, and then commit our life to him. And Father, when we do, you'll write our names in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you'll always know our name. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to stand as men and women of God in a dark and dying world. For Jesus' sake, amen. Staff's going to come. Deacons, it bless me if you'd come pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. You come right now. He knows my name. You know it. Sing it. But you come.